Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I have a very special guest who has just become part of Leading Agile. He's a well-known podcaster as well. So Vic Bonacci, thank you for joining me today. Dave, it's my pleasure to be on a podcast with you after I don't know how many years. I believe this is our first time it on is. a podcast together. It is the first time, yeah. I remember walking through the um, the vendor areas of various conferences and gatherings and seeing you behind the table with your podcast gear and kind of tongue in cheek uh, coming up to you. And this is like five, six, seven years ago and being, Dave, when are you going to interview me? And you're like, sit down. And I was like, I can't right now. I got to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that well, that's not going to happen come. again. Next time there's a conference, you're going to be at that table too. I know. I'm excited. And I'm going to be at that table because I'm also now at the uh, at Leading Agile with you. Yes, I'm very yeah. excited about that. And even though you're a CST, you're going to be doing coaching work here, right? That's correct. They, okay. um, the the wise minds at Leading Agile, uh, reached out to me, which makes you think, how wise are they really? <laughs> they reached out to me to do some coaching. So um, now I'm I'm happy that uh, that I'm in the coaching realm once again because. That's, I mean, between you and me, that's kind of the path that I was on for the past 10 years or so was how to become a better coach, how to get other people around me, scrum masters or coaches to kind of raise our own collective uh, abilities about of coaching capabilities. And uh, then suddenly about three years ago, I was kind of yanked off of that track to kind of focus on becoming a, a trainer. And as you know, the path to becoming a CST is, is uh, demanding and it takes a long time. <laughs> And it so does. I was it kind of a long off time. of the three years. Yeah, is, was, three years is about the fastest anybody gets through it. Yeah, it's about what it took. Yeah. Um, three years, and and so I wasn't really focusing on my coaching capabilities at at that time. But now, happily, uh, once again, I am. So, all right. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Do you want to plug your podcast real quick as well before we get started? Yeah. Well, the podcast, um, <clears throat> the Agile Coffee podcast started out like eight or nine years ago as a uh, a bunch of people sitting around doing a lean coffee and and someone had the bright idea to record it. That was me. <laughs> and not knowing that with recording it, I had to kind of maintain it and develop a cadence and edit and all this, find people to be on it. So yeah. um, Agile Coffee Podcast is is around. However, it's not as, I'm certainly nowhere near as prolific as you are. <laughs> Well, I guess I guess where you're excited about the coaching, I use the podcast. I'm very selfish with the podcast, and I get to chase down things that I always want to learn about, or things that kind of spark, yeah, spark interest. Which which is sort of where, where our today's topic comes from. So, yeah. um, I'm going to have to put links to some of this stuff, but there's going to be a link at the bottom of the show notes to a podcast I did on my on my other podcast, or an interview I did on my other podcast with a student who in class challenged me by saying that he thought that if the team was good, the scrum master was completely unnecessary. Right. And so I did, that was, that really question just got under my skin and I felt like I needed to explore it more. So I actually had somebody else kind of host that podcast so that he could guide us through the conversation. And since then um, I've done an interview with somebody who used to work at Leading Agile. And now uh, he and I and two other folks from Leading Agile are going to end up doing a sort of debate on the role of the scrum master and whether or not it's valid. And I believe very strongly that it is. Um, the other person disagrees. <laughs> so um, 
when, when, when Vic and I, for those of you listening, when Vic and I talked mm-hmm. about this, he mentioned, I was sort of explaining my take on it. And he mentioned that he'd sort of been through some of this. So maybe we can start there. Can you kind of set up what happened to you? And then we can kind of kick off from that point. Yeah, absolutely. And and to do that, I am going to go back in time just a bit more because uh, like you, I came from a traditional PMP type of background. Um, before that, I was like self-taught in kind of programming and um, my first job was a webmaster. And then I became kind of a back-end programmer, learned a lot, <laughs> hung around other teams. Wouldn't it stuff. be cool to go back to if you, that could be your job again? A like webmaster? Just keep the website up. Like oh my that's gosh, my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and more of the blinking text, please. Yes. Um, so, so I kind of had a little bit of a grounding in, in software development, but nothing too formal. And then I, um, I became a project manager. I did that for four years or so traditionally. And someone, uh, a headhunter found me and said, Hey, there's this role called scrum master. Would you like to um, apply for that? And I said, sure. What is it? You know, I had no idea really what scrum was. This is like 15 years ago or so. And, um, and so, so I took the job and I was very excited because the world of agile was, was much more aligned with how I felt teams should be run and and people should be treated as opposed to kind of having that project manager, the stern looking project manager, come on over <laughs> and bang in your desk and saying, Hey, you're late. You know, what's yeah. going on? Here? We're you 72. Know? Why isn't it done? That's right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, as a scrum master, um, it was wonderful. I was learning the craft along with the team learning how to do scrum. So we were on parallel courses. I was trying to stay a step ahead and I was doing an okay job, but there came a point after a few years where um, there, there's a saying, I don't know if it's a Ken Schwaber saying um, one of those Schwaberisms, but um, a, a scrum master is always working themselves out of a job. And, uh-huh. and maybe I didn't hear that saying, or if I did, I had no idea what it meant truly, yeah. but that's what happened to me is I worked myself out of a job. And, and what I mean is that I was doing a fine job as scrum master for a team that was less mature with scrum, but once they got to more advanced areas. They were able to self-organize and self-manage and 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 do learning and things like that. But at a point I wasn't adding value and I think my insecurity was kind of wrapped up in there too. It was like, "Oh, how how can I add value? I'm not adding value." And maybe that was getting in my way and tripping me up a bit too, but um yeah, the organization and I came to a disagreement. I I thought that I should remain working there and they disagreed. And so um that's when I kind of first worked myself out of a job as a scrum master. So they got agile enough. They didn't need to evolve anymore. Well, I think, and this is kind of what I've learned from it. I think that there are different stages of coach or scrum master um, for different times as, as teams mature, go through their maturity cycle. And, um, and at different times you might need a, a trainer or a coach or a scrum master who's maybe more technical um, maybe you, you need someone who's got more experience with interpersonal relationships and dealing with conflict or, yeah. and, and I don't think one single scrum master should be expected to know everything. So I think as a scrum master, what you do want to do is cultivate a self-awareness, yeah. knowing what your strengths are and where you can maybe find a little bit of help. Okay. <laughs> And be a, a little proactive and maybe find that help before the team needs it. 
Okay. Um, and that's just something I, I wasn't ready for at the time. Yeah. I, I always feel like um, and one of the things I say in class is that, you know, if developers hack code, the scrum master's job is to hack people. Yeah. And, I like that. And, and I feel like all that stuff about finding ways to get them to do the practices of scrum or, or you know, whatever it is, if, if it's scrum, um, that's, you have to do that. Right. And that's what our core job is. But when, when they seem to be like having daily scrums without trouble, and they seem to be delivering work pretty consistently. To me, if the scrum master is dismissed at that point or sent off somewhere else or told to split their focus between multiple teams, yeah. that would be like if a football team won the Super Bowl and the owner decided, oh, we don't need a coach anymore. They're pretty high performing. They'll win next year by themselves. Yeah. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't in any way make sense to me. I think it makes the job of scrum master much harder, but I, I agree with you. And at that point, you've got to be digging much deeper and finding other kinds of ways to help them out with, maybe it's the social interaction, maybe it's the technical stuff, maybe it's advocating for other things within the organization. Right. Um, but it, it just, I don't feel like that job ends. I, I, I believe you. I think that you're absolutely right. Like, as you know, I'm a certified scrum trainer. You mentioned that. So I'm teaching the, um, the certified scrum master classes and, you know, listeners out there who are familiar, maybe you've gone to a CSM class. That's usually kind of like the entryway into yeah. trainings and certification in the world of scrum. So a lot of people come in kind of optimistic and, and, and rose colored glasses and thinking, Oh, I'm going to learn everything I need to know in two days of class. And I try to not scare them away, but at the, at the same time, I try to be brutally honest and say, you know, your job, your career, if this is what you're going to do is just beginning, you know, lifelong learning is a thing that good scrum masters put their arms around, you know, and, 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 and stay with, because as you said, you've got to always, get a read on the team and the individuals yeah. in the team and the people outside of the team that you're working with. You're not just working with the scrum team, which includes the product owner, but you're working with stakeholders. You're working with executives or managers of the people of the team and, and whoever it might be. Um, and at first blush, you don't, as a scrum master, realize that it's so complicated that there's all these moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned the analogy of a coach who's like working with a team and then the owner yeah. says, you don't need a coach. I kind of feel like if, if I was given a second or a third team, it, it was kind of like, okay, you're coaching, you know, I don't know the, the New York giants football team, but now you're also going to go coach um, the Eagles the jets right across yeah. the, the <laughs> yeah. street. And, and, and heck we're going to give you the, the Carolina Panthers. So you're yeah. going to plane to, it's like, okay, I can still coach them, but am I going to be effective coaching multiple teams? I'm not going to be with each team day to day and, yeah. and know the, the people and the needs. It's funny. It's almost, I feel like a different way to say that when they say like, oh, it's going well, you should be working with more than one team. It's kind of like they're saying, you seem to be doing a really good job at this. Let's make that impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just make sure that you can only do a bad job at it because you're going to split your focus. And when one team goes into a ditch, you abandon the other team until they end up in a ditch. Right. Um, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, that's an unfortunate thing. I mean, I, I totally get it because I feel like if you're really good at this job, people wonder what you do all day long. Um, and that, and I think that can be a hard thing to explain to people who don't get it like right out of the gate. But yeah, that is a, 
that's one of the things that I say in my class too, is, and I show the the picture of the two Bobs from office space and I'm like, okay, so what do you do every day? Because as I a take scrum the master, paper from the one person to the other person. <laughs> um, scrum masters uh, from the outside, people think a scrum master facilitates meetings. That's kind of the first thing people yeah. think of. Right. And then you can go on and say, oh, they remove impediments or they, I don't know. There's other kind of, lower level, obvious things that people gravitate to. Um, And that's a great starting point. But again, if your team is maturing at a faster pace than you, the scrum master are, then that's a problem. So as a scrum master, you're always looking at other things you can be doing. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to stay ahead of them that way. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some things on the advanced side? Like if, if somebody gets to a place where they're working as a scrum master. They feel like they have a basic handle on teaching teams how to get, you know, up and running. They they're decent with their, you know, meeting commitments from sprint to sprint. Um, for you, like, what are the areas that, that appeal to you the most in terms of I'm going to expand my learning and find ways to be more valuable to these people? Well, it's situational for okay. sure, um, but I think that starting with the team and working out is usually my approach. So, so I might start with the members of the team and start getting to know each of them individually. And even though they might not report to me, like I'm their supervisor or their pod leader or their manager or anything like that. um, I still want to know like what makes them tick. What are their individual drivers? What, what does each developer member of the team want to get out of being on the team? So I, I, as a, coach or a scrum master. And by the way, I, I tend to think of the roles as a a scrum master might mature into a coach. Yeah. Right. But th- they're kind of fulfilling the same function in a way. Um, but I think of the, the scrum master as someone who wants to see the team members themselves um, each, again, grow their capabilities, grow their scrum mastery. Um as, as an individual, so that they could be an internal advocate of Scrum in case the team needs that from someone other than the Scrum Master. Um, so I might start with that, just having conversations. And then as that progresses, then start teaching the teams things like, I don't know, analyzing problems like root cause analysis, five mm-hmm. whys types of things, right? Yeah, so yeah. that the team could start to see the system so it's not just on the scrum master. Oftentimes we say the scrum master needs to kind of have that 30,000 foot view and, and see how the system operates. Well, yes. And the team should know that too. Yeah. But the team has a day-to-day job getting stuff done. However, if the team is truly mature to a point where they think they don't need a scrum master, then okay, are they equipped to solve these difficult problems to identify problems and, and solve them. Yeah. I, I, to me, I guess I feel like you move on to like different levels of problems. Like once you get making yeah. meeting commitments, then maybe you're moving more into some of the lean stuff, you know, and maybe I think the systems thinking thing that you brought up, I had never really thought of that before, but if the team can be looking at the whole system, they're going to have insights that the scrum master is going to miss. If you can yeah. have the whole team be part of value stream mapping all the work that they do, they're going to find other things they can improve on. I guess it's just like, I don't see where there's an end to that pursuit of getting better at working together unless everybody just decides like this is enough, which I guess is possible. 
I mean, that would be yeah. like to the situation that you got to, if you and the team felt like we're all good, you know, we don't, we don't need to go further Then I guess that would be an okay place to stop off. But I just, what I like love still about working at leading agile, isn't that a nice transition? What I love subtle. about <laughs> um, the model, and, I, and I'm still learning. This is only yeah. my first, second week on the job here. But um, but I've heard Mike Kottmeyer speak. I've, I've read some of the white papers and seen the presentations. Um, and what I'm really attracted to now is that, that four quadrants model, how we have, uh-huh. I don't know how familiar you are in this and if, you, if it ever comes up in your classes or your podcast, but, but what we say at leading agile or what everyone else says, I haven't said it yet, but you're <laughs> so about to, I'm about to oftentimes teams start with this kind of in this area of chaos where things aren't very predictable. They're not very stable. Um, things are emerging all the time where we'd rather not have them. We'd like to have that level of predictability. So the first base camp to use leading agile parlance here yeah. is, is to start off with a stable team a stable team that can become predictable, that can get work out. And then we move on to smaller batch sizes. That's kind of the second base camp, breaking the work down smaller so we can be more predictable. And what I'm hearing is a lot of organizations, once they reach that first or second they're done. base camp level, they're done. Yeah. And that's like, to, just, I, just like I, you said. Yeah. I, I, so I was, I was thinking about bringing it up, but I couldn't think of an elegant way to do it. But yeah, that is... Well, neither if could that's, I. If you, you did well, I think if that's the the value they get, I mean, that, that that's what they need, and maybe they're not ready to move on. Like if they get to base camp one and they have well formed backlog, stable teams, and the ability to make and meet commitments regularly, and that's enough for them right now, then cool. But I think it doesn't mean that there isn't more to do. It just means that they might choose not to do it at that point in time. A, a very wise person I'm talking to uh, named Rick inside Leading Agile um, kind of told me that, you know, banks don't need to be lean innovative. Startup. They yeah. don't need to go up to lean startup like Basecamp right. 5-ish, right? They they just need to be predictable and mm-hmm. and have that stability and uh, be very good at what they do. And and that's not just banks. It's anything with like a lot of regulation or or even even newer companies that might not be ready to jump to innovation yet, you know, but yeah. Well, and it also, there's a lot of work that goes into it. I mean, it could take um, a significant amount of time to do all the decoupling and get everything structured right from a technical standpoint to be able to move up through those further states. Um, So, so that's part of it. I I want to ask you, I have one question that's like, really I'm stuck on. I'm going to go back to the scrum master topic for a second. Do you think that that could be somebody's career. Like I'm going to be a scrum master and then they're good. Yes. Yes. Like, I, I like know, they I, don't have to evolve to coach. Do you think somebody I, could be okay and like not get bored doing that? I'm, I'm saying yes. Cause I understand the question. I think I'm also saying yes, because I believe the answer is yes. However, um, or yes. And <laughs> um, there you go. it would be in my opinion, and this is me, Vic, speaking personally, yeah. it would become after time, I don't know if that time is one year or five years or longer, um, not as interesting or not as challenging, or I might, I personally might lose interest with the same team that long. So okay. if I wanted to re- 
main a scrum master, I might be looking for other teams or other, other parts of the organization. Yeah. Right. Um, it's possible. I've, I've, I know people who've been a scrum master for 10 plus years and have not, you know, and they've said, you know, I don't have any desire to be a coach or a trainer or yeah. you know, whatever it is. And that's perfectly reasonable. Uh, makes sense. Talking with these people, I, I see what, where they're coming from. I think that's a, a great thing to say, Hey, I want to make teams better. And, and my vision is to just remain a scrum master and provide that value by being a scrum master. Yeah. To yeah. me, that's the same as somebody saying I'm, I'm a project manager. Like you don't yeah. have to, like, that's good. Like you can be doing that. It's valuable work. People need it. You don't have to be like, what's my next step? Where do I go next? Right. Um, yeah. But for me, I, I couldn't, I needed to kind of grow out and try other roles on yeah. for, for myself. And that, and that's good too. I guess coming at it from the other side, one of the conversations I know I'm going to have to have is like if the team, and this goes maybe back to what Kyle was asking about, if the team gets to a place where they are high performing and they're driving their own improvement, like let's say it's a development team and they're like, Hey, you know, now that we're at this point, we need to try out TDD or we need to try out some other new practice that's come up. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Right. But then I'm thinking like, okay, so if you're in that state and I say, Hey, here's a person whose only job is to help you have the time to do the things you need to do. Why would you not want that person available to you? Like why? That's the part where I get lost. Like, why would a team not want that? Yeah. And, and Kyle, who you're referring to was on another podcast, which you've got a link for in the description yeah. here. Um, yeah. Another thing that came out of that podcast, which I think addresses your question, uh, Bjorn, you had on that, that show yeah, also. And he kinda, thank you. And he, he kind of ended with a, a scenario. It, it could be perceived as the scrum master is forced upon the team because the team is mandated to do scrum versus there's an invitation to growth for the team. And by the way, here's a great resource you can have to help accelerate that growth. And that resource is the scrum master. Yeah. So I think um, if the team has some goal and they come up with the goal and they say, hey, we'd like to do whatever it is, um, CICD or pair programming, or I can't remember what you just mentioned there, but let's say that they decided to use some um, extreme programming practices. Yeah. And, and the scrum master could be there to say, okay, that's great. How are you going to do it? What's your plan? Are you going to dive in? Are you going to do some research first? You know, help the team articulate what their what their goal is, like fine tune their their goal. Yeah, and then hold them to it. You know, hold, and keep, help, help them keep them it. accountable. Yeah, and help, help them with it. Help yeah. find them resources. Help find them and find meetups that can answer questions or experts bring someone in. You know, and again, the team members, the developers can do this themselves. Surely. However, the scrum master is, like I said, a, an additional guide or resource that can, that can help take some of this, this work off of the team um, so that the team can become more effective at doing the stuff that they want to do. Yeah, I, I, to me, with any of the topics that you brought up, I mean, I would hope that the scrum master would be willing to throw in with them and do the research with them and go yeah. through the journey with them. Um, yeah. Some of the stuff that I tend to lock into when I think about the advanced aspects of this job is more interpersonal. So studying things like, you know, deepening whatever level of emotional intelligence you have or studying social engineering practices or different language techniques. And I think at that point, 
your work with the team, it almost becomes like a laboratory where you're experimenting in order to sharpen your ability to help people rise. Um, and that, like, to me, that's the part where I get really stuck on, like, how would this be a job that anybody would feel like I'm done? Because how are you ever going to be done with that? Um, yeah. Yeah, I like I like the idea of, of laboratory. I do want to just let listeners know that we're not saying the developers are, are lab rats or anything <laughs> like that, but... But kind of you're you're experimenting on yourself, right? You're making a, hy- a hypothesis. Yeah. How can I become a better scrum master in whatever way? Um, but definitely, I think a great scrum master is always asking questions yeah. from a from a place of genuine curiosity. Um, how can I help the team? Is one area of questions, or or how can the team do X Y Z? Might be another. Um, way to go off. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or how can we help the organization more or how can we get certain things out of the organization? How can we have a deeper impact? I think there's a lot, if you choose to sign up for the work, I think there's a lot that can be yeah. done. Um, but I think what you said is also true. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way, but it could be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when, or when you talk about teams in organizations, you know, you're not just talking about the team. You're talking about how the team is impacted by other teams, like yeah. dependencies on other teams. And I think the idea of of scaling inevitably inevitably gets raised. Okay, how do we? We've got multiple teams, so we have to scale Scrum and whatever direction you're going to go with scaling is up to the organization. And and certainly, you as a Scrum master might have some degree of input into that, but. But likely not. <laughs> it depends on the size of your organization. Um, but so I but think, even just exploring yeah. it, I mean, that can be something yeah. that you can do. There's there's lots of opportunity. Right. And hopefully hopefully you can do that learning as if we go back to learning. Uh, you can do the research on kind of the differences between different frameworks um, yeah. or the or the things that the team needs to start to do to mentally prepare themselves for this idea of of scaling does that mean that we have to get our own house in order before we can start talking with other teams about you know what we need from them and what they need from us type of thing yeah um so i think i think scaling is another aspect of maybe a more advanced scrum master that I wanted to raise just the yeah. idea of working throughout the organization, even though you're still fo- focused on your one team, you're still able to anticipate, you know, the needs of working with multiple teams or. Yeah. You're looking at it from a more systematic standpoint, like you said before. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like the, the final question that I come down to with this is if I'm a scrum master and I get to a place where the team seems stable and I hit that moment that you talked about earlier, it's sort of like the challenge becomes not how do I get the team to function, but how do I keep adding value? Right. And I think maybe when you don't have an answer, that is, that's the sign that it's time to move on. That's definitely a cue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've learned to recognize when that little voice in my head says, but are, are you adding value or are you just cracking jokes and making memes with the team? Yeah. Or, or if you want to do stuff and they're not into it, then maybe right. that would be saying you need to go find a team that, that wants to fight the things you want to fight. Right. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And then, and then the question is, okay, how do I make that transition? Um, am I responsible for finding, you know, 
the characteristics of their next scrum master. You might not have to, you might not reach out and personally do a, a search for their next scrum master, but you can at least help identify what things do you not have in your capacities huh. that the next coach or scrum master um, would be better served to have. That's a really interesting kind of line of thinking. I'm wondering if you could also find a way to have that conversation with your team. Yeah, I think you have to. Yeah. What, yeah. Am, I, what am I not bringing to the table that you wish was here? Yeah. And you might find, and oftentimes you will, if you ask the team, I mean, Diana Larson always says, just ask the team. <laughs> you, know? mm-hmm. you might ask the team, Hey, I, I feel like I'm not giving you the value. So what am, what do you need that I'm not providing? And you might find the team say, no, you're giving us tremendous value. <laughs> they might be like, well, you suck. <laughs> they um, might've said, Oh, good <laughs> thing. You woke up to that. You know, we've been giving you hints. <laughs> yeah, I so, guess yeah, that definitely. could be kind of a harsh thing. Yeah, I would most most certainly involve the team. And that includes the product owner when, when we say team here. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, any final words of advice for people that are kind of getting to the place where they need to be moving beyond just the basics of Scrum Mastery? Well, like you said, it, it can be a never-ending job. And that's personal discovery, lifelong learning, et cetera. So I think that if you are recognizing that you're at this kind of threshold, if you will, of, of, yeah. of kind of advanced scrum mastery, then yeah, you should be out there in the community asking questions, you know, listening to others, participating in dialogue. You should be pressing on the edges of what it is that you don't know, if it's Kanban, if it's XP, if it's scaling, you know, press on that and learn from it. Um, and then develop a, if you don't already have a community of, of scrum masters at your organization, maybe you can, you can start your own community. Like I've started a meetup 10 years ago or so. Yeah. Um, and, and put these questions out to other people where the, the pressure isn't as, intense. Maybe if you do it in your organization, people might look at you side-eyed and think, oh, you know, what's wrong with you? But <laughs> but in your community over a beer or over a coffee or something like that, everyone's going to open up and say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> that's maybe good. not, maybe that's not the case, but, um, but yeah, definitely surround yourselves with other people when you're at this point and, and learn from each other. That's good. I think, I think mine would be to just, it's similar to that, but it it just be really selfish. Um, (laughs) Find (laughs) things that you want to learn that will make you better at your job and find a way to do them. When I, when I said treat, treat the place like a laboratory, I was thinking of a job I had where I ran a PMO and Mm. I decided to spend a whole year treating the company like a lab. So I would try different meeting techniques. I would try this practice or that practice. And it taught me what worked in the organization and what didn't, but more than anything else, it made me like the guy armed with every tool you can think of. Um, and, and it allowed me to pursue being more versatile and more able to respond to the needs of different types of teams and different types of people. That's a beautiful perspective. And, it, and it's one that kind of goes beyond just Scrum Master. Yeah. Um, so you could do that in whatever your role is in, in whatever your career is. Um, yeah. That's, that's Oh, that's great. good. That kind of gave me a little chill there. So you've become, maybe your pursuit is beyond just scrum master and more become um, 
I went to a Jesuit high school and my dad went to a Jesuit high school. So a man so for I. others. I went a to man a for others. So yeah, a man right? for others. Yeah. You you exist for the benefit of others. And what can you do for them? How can Shout you out be- to Walsh Jesuit in Northern Ohio. <laughs> and St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Um, cool. All right. This was great, man. This is a nice first podcast. Thank you for making time for it. The first of many. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know what what we have in store for us um, down this road, but, but I do know that there's going to be um, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm yes. looking forward to learning and sharing a lot of that with you and you listeners, <laughs> everyone listening out there as well. But Dave, Dave, thank you so much for the invitation to be on. Today. Wait, I, I got to get you to do one thing before you go. You got it. Now that you're here, you got to say it's fascinating. Is there a background to that? Yeah. Uh, it's a, <laughs> It's a leading agile thing. Just say it's fascinating, right? You got it. It's fascinating. There you go. <laughs> oh no, that's going to be clipped and reused <laughs> for some nefarious purposes. No, <laughs> you'll 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 pick it up quick soon enough. You'll hear it. It's part of what we say. But this is great, man. Thank you very much. You got it, David.